Well, let's, let's, let's thank God for our amazing musicians this morning. Uh, as a way of helping transition them off the stage, too. Thanks, Barnes. <laughs> All right, so a man was at his 60th wedding anniversary party. And one of his grandchildren said, Grandpa, how have you and grandmother made it this far? 60 years of marriage. What's been your secret? And he said, well, we decided early on that I would make all the major decisions and she would make all the minor decisions. And you know what? In 60 years, we haven't had a major decision to make. <laughs> it's, it's Valentine's on Sunday. We've got to talk about marriage. So we're going to talk about it this morning. What's that guy doing? What's that guy doing? It's funny because you know that guy. Sometimes you're that guy. You're that gal. Sometimes I'm that guy. It's called avoidance. What are we avoiding? We're avoiding relationship. We're avoiding ourselves. We're avoiding God. We're avoiding other people. But marriage is this call to commitment. It's a life-shaping call. And you know what? You're duped into it. Listen to what M. Scott Peck says about this. He says, romantic love helps us to make a commitment. Romantic love leads us to make commitments and gives us a foretaste of the more lasting mystical ecstasy that can be ours after a lifetime of love. Therefore, while falling in love is not itself love, it is part of the great and mysterious scheme of love. All right, so you're duped into making a commitment. Now, some people, they think, well, you know, it, commitment is so big and so difficult that maybe I'll take it for a test drive, all right? So what we're seeing is this rise of people living together. And if you're living together and you're uncomfortable about this, well, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to help you, okay? I'm trying to help you. It's not good to try to take commitment for a test drive. It's kind of like, well, let, let's, let me, I want to go skydiving, sort of. <laughs> Can I sort of try it out? Can I try out skydiving? You can't take total commitment for a test drive. The statistics bear out that trying to do this is not helpful. It actually makes things worse because you're, you're not being very clear about what you're doing, what you're about. So there, there are only a couple of different things that you can do in marriage. You can, you can try to dominate. You can be a wimp or you can be shaped. Is wimp in the Bible? I don't think it's in the Bible, but it's implied, okay? It's implied. You can dominate each other. You can kind of wimp out and back off of relationship and just sort of, you know, just constantly adjust to somebody else. Or you can be shaped, sculpted. From the Word of God, Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, see, there it is. While we were still wimps, can I say it that way? While we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more 
shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. May God bless us this morning through this his holy word. Let us pray. God bless us now through your word, not only to our minds to receive it, but to our hearts to believe it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to orient you to this message. I feel like, has it been a good morning already? I feel like it's been a great morning already. It's almost like, let's say amen and go home. Uh, We can only mess things up, but I put so much time into this that I'm going to do it. I'm going to give it to you. So here is the message in a nutshell. If you want to have a happy marriage, you got to have something worth giving, and you got to give it. You got to have something worth giving, and you got to give it. You have to have grace worth sharing, and you got to give it. First, you have to have grace worth sharing. Grace worth sharing. God's commitment to you, his unconditional commitment to you, your experience of that unconditional commitment, that experience that says, you know what, I've received something that's better than I deserve. So many people go through life saying, you know, I deserve this. I deserve to have, you know, this picture of this perfect wrinkle-free life. And I deserve to have this thing work out. And I deserve to have this person do it my way. And, I de- and we go through life and, and you know what, we're, we're always at a deficit. And there's nothing to give. But if you've experienced the grace of God, the reconciling grace of God, not only the idea that God has died for you, but that he was risen so that you can have abundant life, that he's giving you something to give away, that you have something worth giving. Do you have something worth giving? When you bring something worth giving into your marriage, you can have a happy marriage. Here's what it says in verse 6. At the right time. At the right time. What does that mean? 33 years A.D.? 33 A.D., is that the right time? Is that what he's talking about? At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Two different kinds of time in the scriptures. One is chronological time, and one is opportune time. Kairos. You ever heard of a kairos moment? A kairos moment is when God isn't so much trying to take you uh, chronologically through something, but he's trying to take you into a moment where something transforming can happen. I feel like, you know, Beth's in my uh, last few months have been a Kairos moment. You know, there there have been some moments where it's just been extremely threatening, and we wonder, where is this going to go? And the circumstances seem very dark, and we think... This is not something we, we would wish on, on anyone. And yet, and yet, and yet, there is opportunity in it. There's so many moments where, even especially over the past few months, where it's like, I can't lose this. I don't want to lose this, this picture, this gift, this glimpse into the meaning and the, the power of God's graceful presence in our life. I don't want to miss the opportunity 
to look at the rest of our days and be far more intentional, far more faithful, far more trusting, far more brave about how we go through our second half of life. There is opportune moments. There are opportune moments in your life where we want chronological time. We want to get through it. We want to look back on it. We want to have a crystal ball and see how it all turns out. But there's opportunity in the moment, the kairos moment. And that's what Paul is saying in verse 5 of Romans. I mean, in chapter 5, verse 6 of Romans. He's saying, there's opportunity. Don't miss it. While you know you're in need. Not just, oh, God did something. 2,000 years ago, he did something. And, you know, you just kind of believe it and you just sort of pull the lever and it's good. No, while you know it's for you. While you know you're in need, there's opportunity for you to experience the reconciling initiative God. Do you have that to bring with you? If you're married, are you bringing that into your marriage? Are you continuing to live into that? Is that that graceful, better than I deserve kind of picture of life, experience of God's grace, is that filling you more and more, increasingly so? And are you over, overflowing into your relationships with that experience. That's the opportune time. That's your kairos moment. Verse 9, it says this. Did you notice these not only but also? You know, if, if you experience this while you're a sinner, while you're yet sinners, while you're dark in the shadows of your sin, while through, through the death of Christ, how much more then through the life of Christ Knowing that he's saved you, knowing that's behind you, knowing that you're justified, how much more then is that grace powerful now? Look, look, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now, now received reconciliation. Now received reconciliation. You have it now, and you have it to give. Are you being filled is your life and your moments being filled with that opportune moment? You know, verse 9, back to verse 9, it says this. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. This is how you know it's just not fire insurance, right? Fire insurance, like, you know, fires of hell. Okay, I've got you know, the wrath of God. I'm afraid of what, you know, possible consequences. I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm going to check those boxes. No, you know, do you know that you have the confidence that you are saved from the wrath of God? It's like those, those kids, there were, there's some kids that were fighting, they were siblings, they were fighting with each other, and then it was late at night, and, and everybody was just sort of scrappy and mad at each other, and then all of a sudden there was this huge thunderstorm, and they all found themselves in the, in the closet, and mom knocked on the door, and she said, what are you doing in here? And they said, we thought we were going to die. We are in here forgiving each other. 
I mean, that's what, there are no atheists in foxholes. There is this instinctive thing that when life is threatened, there's opportunity to say, what is this really about? What do we really need? And out of the mouth of babes, right there, there it is, forgiveness. Do you have a grace worth giving? Now, maybe here's the first objection of the sermon. Maybe you're objecting, you think, you know what, I've noticed that, you know, maybe you're married and, and you, you think, well, I have a give and take marriage. I give and he takes. I give and she takes. That was kind of supposed to be the lighter part of this because the heavier part is coming. <laughs> I have a give and take marriage and I give and he takes. Aha, okay. Well, if that's how you're looking at it, then you haven't started giving yet. You haven't really started giving. Because you're measuring. See, people who have experienced the reconciling grace of God have something to give, and it's just gone. It's out. It's done. It's it. It's the deal. That's it. It's yours. It's not like I'm giving this, and I hope I'm going to see something. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to cash in on this later, right? I'm going to cash in on this. You know, it's like I remember this. I mean, I've told this story, but I remember this when uh, the triplets were really young, and I got up in the middle of the night because one of them needed me, and now the heart monitors are going off. You know, we had wires everywhere when our... That, that we came home with wires. I don't know. That, that, it's just wires everywhere when we had our, our children. It was kind of bizarre, you know. It was like... And I got up, and I thought, you know, I didn't get up kind of loudly enough. <laughs> I kind of got up quiet, too quietly, right? Like I'm walking. I still remember I was walking past... And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, look at this. Middle of the night, my child needs me. A heart monitor's going off. Who knows if, they need, if they're having trouble breathing. And I'm sitting here thinking, what am I going to get out of this? Maybe a round of golf, right? If I get up in the middle of the night, then, oh, honey, I'm going to go play a round of golf. Now, if, if you're measuring, if you're saying I give and she gets, I give and, and he gets, then you're really measuring the wrong thing. You're not measuring what you have. That is better than you deserve. And so much of it, you've just got to give some of it away. So, first step to a happy marriage. First principle. Have something worth giving. Have a grace worth giving. Connect that grace of God to all those different moments of your life. Go through those difficult moments looking for the kairos moment, the opportune moment. To bring the gospel more and more into the center of your life, the, the incubating, life-giving center of your life. That's first. Second is this. Give it. Have something to give. The reconciling grace of God, something worth giving. And give it. Give it. As part of God's reconciling work. Let that be the framework for your marriage. Not to sculpt, but to be sculpted. Not, not to give to receive, but just simply to give away. Give it. See, marriage is, is, is about grace. Marriage is an illustration of grace. First of all, marriage is, is part of a, a cultural mandate. You know, be, before we're, we're, uh, we get into the Bible's salvation story, marriage is given to man and woman uh, in the garden, Right? It's not good that a man should be alone. And so men and women are, 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 are created. They're created equal. They're created equally in the, in the image and nature of God. And they're put back into, put into each other's lives, right? It's a cultural mandate, in other words. And 
Because it's a cultural mandate, it's not just a salvation mandate, this is how you're supposed to be saved, or this is how you're supposed to live as people who are saved or who know Jesus. It's, it's for the whole world that brings a common grace, a stability to our culture, a stability to our, uh, our country, a stability to the world. It is one of the basic building blocks of order in our society. You understand that there are certain people you can count on. There, there are certain people that, that are people of their promises who fulfill one of their commitments that are going to go the distance. There are people that, that, that create that, that security, that structure. But marriage is also a saving grace. It, it's all, there, there, there's a, a unique call to the Christian in marriage, in other words. Did you follow that? There's a, there, there's a common grace marriage. It's given to all humankind. But Christian marriage has a unique and special purpose, and that is to illustrate the reconciliation of God. That, that, that God is in the business of putting things back together. That God is in the business of reconciling all things to himself. And so our energy in marriage is to go in the direction of reconciliation, to give what we have, to give that reconciling work in ourselves, overwhelming, overflowing into the lives of other people. That's your call in marriage. And maybe you're listening, maybe you're listening for yourself. Maybe you're listening for somebody else. Maybe you have uh, some counseling or coaching that you want to do to a sibling or to somebody else. Maybe you're not married yet and you've never really understood. What is marriage for? Let me tell you what it's for. It's to illustrate the reconciling work of God in the world. How's it going? What are you measuring? Let's illustrate this passage with another chapter 5 passage. Let's illustrate Romans 5 with Ephesians 5. See, there, there are several different ways that we can look at this uh, to, to see what does it look like to move towards each other with the ministry of reconciliation. What does it look like in a marriage? There are, there are a couple different ways that we try this. Uh, one is man over woman, all right? Man dominates woman, Okay. Uh, and I heard about a story about a, a guy who went to this marriage seminar with his wife, and the man was talking about how the man is the head of the household, and uh, he needs to grab the reins and go for it and be in charge and make all the decisions and, you know, um, and lay down the law. And he was really empowered by that, and he went home, and he said, well, honey, I hope you listen well because there's a new sheriff in town. And you know what? After that, he didn't see his wife for a week. But after about a week, maybe day eight, he started to see her out of his left eye, a little bit out of his left eye. You didn't get that. He started to be able to see her out of his left eye. Okay, this isn't going too well, is it? <laughs> Y'all, if a man has to dominate a woman in order to lead his family, it's a boy trying to be a man. It's a boy trying to be a man. And that's often how it looks. And it's even codified in the Middle East. This domination of man over woman is a wimp's way out. It's, it's using power and the strength of testosterone to maintain a sense of order. And you know what? It's avoidance. That's why I say it's a boy's way out, because, because men have to face things. They have to face themselves. They have to face God. They have to face relationships. But you know what? The, our culture's response to this is called 
an egalitarian relationship. And that is an evening of, of differences. It's like there are no differences between men and women. Not only are we equal, we're the same. We're not the same. I mean, when, when I've lost something, maybe it's in the refrigerator and I've lost it. And I know it's in there, right? I was like, honey, do we have, where's that new butter? You know, she's like, you're staring at it. I'm sure you're staring at it. Like, no, I'm not. It's not there. And she comes over and she points to it. There. How do they do this? Where, where is my wallet? Well, I think it's sitting on the counter right next to that little box that has your name on it. Women, now this is documented. This is scientific. Now, I'm, I'm in the science here. Now, women have this. When they test women at rest with their minds, their minds are like 90% the energy is still there. It's just going, Right? Men, they, they have the power of focus. They focus. And when they're focused and, and when they're at rest, they have like 30% of the energy, the natural energy, you know, that, that registering in their brain. 30%, only 30%. Women, 90%. Men, 30%. What was I, what was I talking about? I can't remember what what was I saying? There are differences. Okay, there are differences. And there are powerful differences, important differences. And we can capitalize on those differences. We can benefit from those differences. And we can pretend them away and whip out. You know what ends up happening is because women are so adept at relationship, it ends up looking like instead of a man of a woman relationship, it looks like woman over man. It's an abdication of, of roles, of different roles. And that's not good. So what does Ephesians 5 say about it? Let's start with verse 23 of Ephesians 5. I want to read just verse 23, all right? And then I'm going to read verse 25, so hang in there. Ephesians 5.23, or 5.22. Can you pull that up, Ephesians 5.22? I'm sorry, I messed you up. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay, hang in there, y'all. Just hang in there, ladies. Okay, hang in there, it's okay. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, all right, that's verse 23 and verse 25. You know what's, what's usually missing from people's exposition or uh, from people's um, uh, drawing out the meaning from this? Verse 21. Let's go back and read verse 21. You ready? Here you go. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Submit to one another. Paul does this all the time. He says, okay, I want you to do this. Now, I'm going to show you several different ways I want you to do it. Okay? I'm going to to tell you a principle, and then I'm going to tell you how to get it into your life. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What part of one another do we forget? You know what I think? I think we need gender-specific Bibles. Let's just... What you need to do, men, you need to cross out verse 22. Cross it out, okay? Because it's not for you. And, and this is where we mess up. We think, okay, so if I'm, if I'm supposed to be loving, if my wife is supposed to submit to me, aren't I in charge of that? Here's the answer. You ready? No, you're not in charge of your wife's submission. Wives, are you in charge of your husband's submission? No. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're each responsible for our own 
submission. It's called servant leadership. It's called servant leadership. And you move towards one another. With the, and, and what this does is powerful, it's beautiful, because it recognizes the differences and it gives men something to do with their power and their testosterone and their aggression. It gives them a direction for it. It's serving. And you say, well, Tim, I've got a second objection. I mean, I've got needs. I mean, are they not legitimate? Should I not express those needs? The answer is, of course. Absolutely. The problem is, though, we tend to take those needs and we wave them under the other person's nose. And what we need to do is we need to put them at the other person's feet. This is a shaming gesture. Putting it at their feet says, you can serve me this way, but it's yours. I want you to have it. I want you to know that this matters to me. This is important to me. This is a priority for me. But, I, you know, it's your responsibility to pick it up, not mine, to tell you to pick it up. You see, this is the, this is the picture. This is the illustration. This is the painting, the portrait of God's reconciling work in the world through marriage. This difference and yet sameness, this equality and yet complement, this picture of moving towards one another with reconciling love, with, with something to give, with, with even seeing while she was yet a sinner, while he was yet in his sin, Christ died for me, let me move towards my spouse to serve. To give, not to get. As I have loved you, Jesus said. As I have loved you, so love one another. Do you see that? This is what these passages are all about. Jesus said, I have a new commandment. What's new about loving one another? Well, you're to love one another as I have loved you. Now you love one another. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. Let me leave you with this. If you're in conflict, if you have a pattern where, you know, and, and this applies to any relationship. Maybe it's in your job with your boss. or what, This is a picture of God's reconciling power in your life. Apply these practical take-home principles. If you're in conflict, here's a hint. If you're... If talking isn't helping, what am I going to tell you? Stop talking. All right. If talking isn't helping, pause. Stop talking. Number one, pause when one of you isn't ready. Two, pause when one of you has said it a thousand times. Number three, pause when you need time to think. Number four, Pause when one of you is reacting and needs space. Number five, pause when you have forgotten the actual issue. What were we talking about? Number six, pause when you're giving advice. Number seven, pause when you're avoiding you. You see, Christian marriage, like any Christian relationship, is to be an outflow of the gospel that's coming to life in you in every little nook and cranny, every dark corner of your life. And when you have that experience to give and you give it, you're creating a picture of God's reconciling work to the people around you. Let's pray. God, how we thank you for your work in our lives. 
that it's ongoing and that it's, it's accomplished. Part of it is just done. And some of it is being done right now. Lord, help us to lay claim to the opportune moments in our relationship. In Jesus' name, amen.